Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disown the holy and righteous one and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning. How are we doing? We doing all right? Okay, thanks. Um, my name's Cam, if I haven't met you yet. This is loud behind me, so I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to move over here. Is that okay? All right, we, got, we have room. Um, if I haven't met you, I'd love to. Uh, currently, my wife and I, we've been out here for, she's been out here for like seven years, but I've been out here for three years. We serve uh, on campus with an organization called Athletes in Action. Uh, essentially, just want to talk about Jesus to athletes, build them up in their faith and hopefully send them out to live lives on purpose and on mission uh, for the glory of God and for the gospel of Jesus. Um, quick disclaimer, uh, I've been, for probably the past year and a half, I've fallen into a bad habit of listening to, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh, not to sound super spiritual, but most of them are sermons, so I listen to a lot of sermons. And when I get really excited, I tend to mirror that of the sermon, and here's what I do. I've started listening to sermons on 1.5 times speed. Does anybody else do that? Yeah? yeah? Right. Uh, so I've been told that when I get excited, I start to talk at 1.5 times speed. Um, so, so our mission statement is practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of all things. So I just give us permission that if I start to get going, if you, if you see me move from one time speed to 1.5 times speed, lovingly, uh, just kind of, you can just hit me with a pump the brakes cam. Just slow it down, bro. Okay, you can do it high, you can do it low, however. But I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to do. This morning, uh, we've been in a series, which is now our new mission statement, called Practicing the Way of Jesus Together for the Renewal of All Things, uh, going through the book of Acts. And if this is your first time with us, or if you just need a recap, 
uh, I'm going to give a recap. So here's, here's essentially what's happened. Uh, it started with Jesus, okay? Jesus uh, was sent, the Son of God, into earth. He was born into uh, a, a dirty barn, a dirty motel. He lived for 30 so years just kind of in secrecy. Nobody really knew about him. Nobody really knew what was happening. He popped on the map a couple of times. Um, and then there's this moment where he comes to his cousin who had a bunch of disciples named John. John baptized him. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus. Uh, and then the Father's voice affirms him and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Um, and again, the Spirit is on him. And then Jesus goes for three years, and he's doing ministry. He's uh, healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's preaching about what he called the kingdom of God and the gospel. And he's teaching in the synagogues. Uh, he's getting away with the Father. He's doing a normal thing for th about three years. He lived such a controversial, chaotic, crazy life uh, that people, people had to kill him. They said, we, we've, got to, we've got to take this guy to the cross. He's messing up everything. Um, he went, he, he was, lived the perfect life, sinless, uh, making himself the perfect sacrifice for us, uh, bearing the, the sins and the weight of everything onto himself, went to the cross, he bore our sins, died, was buried, uh, raised up again three days later, just like he said he would. Um, he then is, this is kind of where we are now as we enter into the book of Acts, and he's sitting here with his disciples. And it said that for 40 days, he sat there teaching about the kingdom of God. He was still doing kind of the similar things. And then he said, uh, I'm about to go, but you need to wait here, and you're going to get the promise of the Father. You're going to get the Holy Spirit. Um, so he ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit then comes. They, they just sit there, and they wait, and they pray for uh, who knows how long. And then it, it says, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes. It literally says, and suddenly. One day the Holy Spirit comes. Uh, it comes on them. There's tongues of fire. Peter stands up, this scared Peter who, who just denied Jesus three times to a 12-year-old girl, has this whole new power, and he preaches the gospel, and it says that 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. And then what we talked about last week, we talked about the Spirit-filled church. It gave birth to the church, and there was a, a community of people who were a devoted people, full of the Holy Spirit, who were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to uh, uh, prayer, and to the fellowship. They were, they were devoted to being together. And then it feels like that in, in, that, in, in this moment here, what we just read, Acts 3, is kind of the, the zoom into a day in the life of a disciple. And that's where we get into the story. That's where we are right now. So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we are, we're thankful that, uh, that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you, uh, you sent your spirit. Um, God, I have nothing... Uh, to say this morning that nobody's ever said. Uh, we don't need necessarily more information. Not that information is bad, but we don't need more facts um, and, and good stories. God, we, we need your presence. We need to encounter uh, the God of the Bible, the true and living God. So Holy Spirit, we, we invite you. Uh, would you speak to us? Uh, would you not allow us to justify uh, <laughs> our lives and uh, how different they look from the scriptures. Would you convict us and challenge us and lead us into uh, a life of freedom and a life of following you? So speak to us through your words. Would you take these ev everyday, average, ordinary moments and just breathe on them? We invite you. We say, come Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, so I studied uh, PE in college. Um, I, I, I went and played college basketball at a school in Colorado, and I thought, what's the closest thing I can do to play basketball all day? Like, I, I thought, you know, I didn't come here to play school, right? Anybody ever heard that? I don't condone that, by the way, but I didn't, I didn't, go, to, I didn't go to play school, right? I, I came here to hoop, and that's it. 
Um, so I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to study PE. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to find a way to be in the gym all the time. Uh, so saying that, I, I, I wasn't a big uh, reader, writer. Uh, I had to do lesson plans. That was about the extent of it. Um, but I, what I remember from uh, language arts as a kid was uh, your paper is only as good as your topic sentence. That's what they always told me. So I would work really, really hard on just a big zinger to start all my papers and then just kind of whatever, hope the rest was okay enough to get a C. Um, but, but I think that's, that's a little bit true. And, and then you get into like high school, college, and then it just changes from topic sentence to like thesis statement or something like a little bit smarter. Um, but what we see in Acts 1 is Luke. Okay? Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke, and Acts is basically just part two. It's the continuation of the gospel. Uh, and this is what he says in Acts 1.1. Okay? He says this, in my, this is his thesis statement for the book of Acts. If we don't get this, we don't get the book of Acts. But he says this, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I'm going to say that one more time. The thesis statement of the book of Acts. Luke is saying, in my former book, in, in my previous book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. What he's saying here is that the gospel, what Jesus did, it is not what Jesus once did and once taught. It's not, it's not a story that he tells and then he told, and now we just are supposed to keep talking about the things that Jesus used to do. It's an invitation into continuing the life of Jesus. I think if we, if we, if we miss this, if we read this as something that is in the past or as a previous thing, uh, we're at risk of just becoming storytellers versus participants in the story. And the gospel of Luke continued into the book of Acts is, is meant to be the continuation into our lives. Where we are invited into all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And that's essentially what we see here in Acts 3, right? We see basically what looks like just another day in the life of Jesus. He, 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 he would always, he would, he would heal people, then he would teach. And that's essentially what we see here. We see Peter and John walking uh, kind of on their everyday normal life. They come up, they see someone who is in need and hurting, they pray, he's healed, and then they preach the gospel. It's, it's essentially the, the continuation of what Jesus was doing and teaching. And I think when we read this, and then we, when we read this, and then we look at our lives, we notice a big gap between what we're experiencing and what maybe we see in the scriptures. There's some kind of gap there. And I think what we are at risk to do is to, uh, it's basically what we do with any kind, of, uh, any kind of sin we see in the scriptures. When the Holy Spirit brings up something in our life, we can do one of two things. We can, we can just justify it, and we can say, ah, but, but it's different now, it's me, uh, I, I, I'm cool, I'm different, I'm, I'm the exception. Or you can step into that conviction and allow the Holy Spirit to call you into something new and better. Justifying sounds a lot easier, but when he calls you into something more and better, it's more and better. <laughs> And I think that's what we have the, the opportunity to do here. Is we, can, we can look at this story and we can say, ah, it's 2020, bro. That was 2,000 years ago. That stuff doesn't happen. And I'm just going to justify my experience. And then I'm going to read the scriptures with the lens of how Cam has lived every day up to this point. Or I can read the scriptures and I can look at my life and I can say, it's not the scriptures that are wrong. It's me and I can step into the gap. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just step into the gap. Step into the gap between what we see in the scriptures and what I see in my everyday life. And all we're really doing is we're talking about our mission statement. We're going to look at the way of Jesus, because that's what the disciples did. There's 16 or so verses where we just see the way of Jesus being lived out. 
So this morning, I want to look at the prayer of Jesus that we might skip over. I want to look at the mercy of Jesus. I want to look at the miracles of Jesus. And then I want to look at the message of Jesus. And I'm just going to kind of read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little as we go through the scriptures. So number one, the prayer of Jesus. Right away, it says, verse one, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Most of the time, I skip over that. I'm just like, dang, healing. Forget verse one, whatever. We're cool. Let's raise this dude up, okay? Verse one, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. So, so the first thing that we see here is that the, the disciples had some kind of daily rhythm of prayer. And in Jewish tradition at the time, they, there would be. There would be a morning prayer, there would be an afternoon prayer, and there would be an evening prayer where they were just going to the temple. It would be a part of their daily rhythm of life. And it almost feels like that this is just another day that they were doing. They were just going up to the temple they, to pray. Okay? They were not going like, hey, John, let's go try to heal a dude today. Right? It was a normal, everyday thing. Let's go to the temple. Let's pray. Let's do the things that we always do. Just like Jesus would do. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, he says this, if you want the life of Jesus, you need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And essentially, that's what practicing the way of Jesus is, right? If you want the life of Jesus, if you want the love of Jesus and the joy of Jesus and the power of Jesus, we have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And it's just like everything else, right? When you you see something admirable in somebody, I I can't help but use sports metaphors. I'm so sorry. I'm going to get better. But when I see somebody who has a really, whatever, a really good jumper, I don't just go look at his jumper and say, I need to fix that. I I I need to be like that. Right? I would look at what are all the things he has done to build up to be that kind of basketball player, that kind of shooter. It's the same thing as we look at the life of Jesus. We have to adopt the lifestyle and train ourselves into the way of Jesus. And one of the things that we see in Jesus all the time is he would just get away from the Father. He would get away and he would just be with God. Not, not necessarily asking for things, but he would just spend time in God's presence. He had plenty to do. Most of the time, the attention would come to Jesus, the crowds would, would come to him, and he would kind of be like, hey, don't tell anybody, and then he would slip away and get away with the Father. He had a daily rhythm. He had time where, where he would just spend time with God. The way of Jesus is a way of prayer, and I would say even prayer rhythm, where there's just a rhythm of prayer in your life, not just a morning quiet time and just banking on that to power us through the rest of the day, but a continual abiding communing with God. That's the life the disciples knew, and that's the life of Jesus. The way, the way of Jesus is a way of prayer. Uh, number two, mercy. I'm just going to carry on. Verse two. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple, uh, the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. One of the things that I'm blown away at by Jesus is his ability to just be totally inconvenienced. Um, You talk about a man on a mission, right? Jesus, sent from God to save humanity. Big-time time mission, right? Man on a mission. But Jesus, almost all the time, he'd be going from one place to another, almost always would just be able to just be inconvenienced, right? Somebody would just kind of, I'm going to tell one story here. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus and his disciples are literally trying to leave a town. Okay? They're like, we got to get out of here. We got to go to this next town. Um, and then there's this blind guy, and he stands up and he just starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everyone's like, bro, he's trying to get out of here. Everyone literally it says that they rebuked this dude. Bro, stop it, stop it. Jesus, trying to get out of the town, hears this guy, 
yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he turns and he says, come here, what do you want from me? Jesus was always willing to be inconvenienced. It's crazy to me. But when we look at what love really is, isn't it just being inconvenienced? Like, love is never convenient. Serving somebody, going out of your way. My, my favorite definition for, the, for love is just willing the good of another person. Rarely does that just, like, come at your own good. Like, ah, I was just on the way anyways. Let me just, whatever. It doesn't work like that. Love is willing to be inconvenienced. Another thing that we, we see in the life of Jesus is he was drawn to the crowds, but he was also drawn to just the one person. That's what we see in this story of the, the dude in, in Mark, right? He, he, he just had a huge crowd of people, but Jesus, for some reason, was just drawn to the one person. That's what we see in Peter and John, right? Peter had just preached this massive sermon, clout going crazy, Twitter followers, blue check marks, celebrity pastor, he's got it. And he's going to the temple to pray, and he stops for the one. He stops for one person. And not only just one person, but an outcast. To be lame or to, to be paralyzed at the time wasn't just to have this like physical ailment that you couldn't, you couldn't deal with and it made your life a lot more challenging, but it was to be a social and spiritual outcast. He was, he, he was waiting outside the temple because he wasn't allowed inside the temple. The way of Jesus is a way of mercy and not just of mercy, not just of being inconvenienced and, and walking and, and coming outside of your, your normal everyday life, but it's being inconvenienced for people who have absolutely nothing to offer you. Sometimes I think the most spiritual things that we can do, the most Holy Spirit-powered, God-glorifying things are just to go out of your way to listen to the person who annoys you the most. Just to be with the people you're like, ah, oh, that's the last person I want to be with right now. The person who absolutely does nothing for your life. Those sometimes are the most spiritual things that we can do. That's what we see in the life of Jesus. And before we get to this crazy miracle, that's what we see in Peter and John. This, willing, this willingness to be inconvenienced. Jesus healed that blind man. But before he healed the blind man, he stopped from where he was going and was willing to step out of the way to go to him. As we walk in the way of Jesus, it's a way of mercy, and it's a way of being willing to be inconvenienced for the one. So I want to say this again. Before we see anything big, powerful, supernatural, we see very ordinary things, right? We see things that we see kind of daily, like that, we, that should be kind of some part of the fabric of our lives. This, this daily prayer, this mercy, this going out of our way of just loving and listening and caring for one person. Very, very ordinary things. And, and, and I think we need to embrace the ordinary, but I think we need to expect the extraordinary. Like we need to have a bigger uh, picture of what God is. That's not all. The story didn't end right there. It wasn't just he came out of the way and they listened and loved on this guy for a little bit. There was more. And there's more to the way of Jesus than just the ordinary. There's more. Three, the miracles of Jesus. Verse six. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. 
and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. One of the things I love is this guy's not even trying to be healed, <laughs> right? Like he's sitting outside the gate just like, hey, bro, can I get just some spare change or something? And he says, man, I don't have that. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. This is a crazy miracle. This isn't like, uh, this isn't like some dude just kind of maybe like photoshopping something and making the leg grow a little bit to like relieve some lower back pain, okay? This is like, this dude, we'll find out in Acts 4 that he's been paralyzed for over 40 years, okay? Since birth. So this is like new hammy, new quad, new calf, new ankle, new Achilles, praise God, new feet, new ankle, like everything. It's brand new. And not only that, it's not like, oh man, I'm figuring this out. He comes and he just starts jumping and leaping. Like this is a full-blown, un- unexplainable miracle. It wasn't natural. It wasn't something that you could be like, eh, maybe they photoshopped that. You know, maybe they knew this guy beforehand. They said, like it wasn't that. Like they, would, they said, this is the guy we knew. There's something crazy. There's something different. And this is one of the stories where you look at it and you're like, ah, <laughs> haven't seen that in my life, right? Maybe you have. I, I, I pray to God that you have. I, I, I have not. Just as a confession, I, I haven't. I have never seen something so supernaturally unexplainable except for just the power of God. But this is where I want to press into the gap. Why don't we experience this? Why do we not have this kind of power? In one of his letters, Paul says this, this gospel is not just a gospel of word and deed, but of power. There's something supernatural behind the lives that we're meant to be living, but I think we're missing it. And it's really easy just to say, you know, that has a cool story 2,000 years ago, and it's really easy to try to justify it, but I just want to step into the gap. So why do we lack this power? Why do we not have this kind of power? One, we don't need it. We, we've constructed lives where maybe we just don't need the power of God. We're not desperate for it. I can function totally fine without it. There's this story of a, uh, I don't know if this is a made-up story or what. Sometimes you start reading stuff and you're like, man, this sounds cool. So I'm just going to say it. Um, but there's this story uh, of a, it says it's a humble monk and he's walking with this uh, big Roman Catholic cardinal um, and just kind of the zenith of the Roman Catholic age, where they're, they're just, they have all prestige, all power, all the wealth that they could have. And, and there's a story where this cardinal looks to this monk and he says, well, you know, I guess we don't have to say silver and gold we don't have anymore. And the monk replied to him, well, neither can we say in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And maybe that's the problem. M- maybe not, not just money, but maybe we've built lives where silver and gold we have, and the power of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't have. And I really don't mean just money. I mean comfort. I mean, I've, I've constructed a life that just, it, it doesn't need it. That I, I, We have really good programs. We have really good policies. I've got good podcasts and books to just talk about God. I don't really need to step into or be willing or, or be totally dependent on his power for my life to function. And, and, and I've just been thinking about this in my own life. If, if I were to just take the Holy Spirit, if I were to just take the Holy Spirit right out of my life, maybe not, maybe not the simple day-to-day monotonous fruit of the Holy Spirit where he's making me more like Jesus and, and all these things, but if I took the power of the Holy Spirit out of my life, if it just got sucked right out, wouldn't my life look any differently? And I think that's a question that we're kind of faced with. If the Holy Spirit was gone, would, would my life look any differently? And for the disciples, it would. For the early church, that's all they had. 
I mean, when we look at Peter, like, let's just look at Peter for a second. Peter was a fisherman, okay? Jesus was like, hey, come, you're fishing for fish. Let's go fish for men. Come follow me. He's like, all right, sure. Anything's better than fishing. Uh, probably didn't say that. That's what I would say. I don't like nature. Uh, I don't want to be outside. So I'd, I'd follow you wherever as long as you're getting me inside. Um, but he says, so, 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 so Peter's this, this unschooled, not very smart. We're going to read in the next, in Acts 4, they're just uneducated, normal dudes who God chose to use, right? Peter, the same Peter, follows Jesus. He's always talking too much, okay? He always thinks he has the answers. Jesus is always kind of like humbly rebuking him, except for the one time he calls him Satan, right? He's, he's always just kind of walking through him with things. Then he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter's like, I'll never deny you. And then he walks up to this like fire that they're having, and he denies Jesus to this 12-year-old girl three times, right? Peter, okay? N- nothing special. Dependent on the power of God for anything he wants to do in life. Um, this dude, Simon Ponsby, wrote this book more, but, but he says this, those early Christians had no degrees from the best universities. They had no MBA management course. Uh, they'd, they'd gone through no psychological Myers-Briggs compatibility profiles. They had no financial investment pro- portfolios, but they had a revelation of God, a revelation of their inheritance in Christ and Holy Spirit power from on high. With this, God took 120 people and shook the world. The power of the Holy Spirit. So the question for us today is, have we constructed lives where we don't need the power of God? We must be desperate for the power of God if we want to see um, him move like he did in the early church. We don't experience it, maybe one, because we just don't need it. Two, because we, we don't expect it, right? Like how many of us, if this actually were to happen, like if we were just like, hey, uh, I'm just going to stop preaching right now. If you have any kind of ailments and I prayed, let's just, let's just start praying for him. And we actually saw somebody roll up in a wheelchair and then we prayed for him and he got new legs, we would be utterly shocked, right? Like that would be crazy. I would have no framework for that in my mind. Like that would that would be that'd be nuts. I would I'd be utterly shocked. I would never expect something like that. Um, I read this book over the summer, it's called The Power of Moments. Has anybody heard of that? Power of Moments? No? All right, read it. It's good. It's not a Christian book, but it's good. Uh, the, but, but this dude essentially he, he makes this whole argument that our life is built up let uh, made up of less like small kind of monotonous things, but it's what we remember are the big moments in our life, right? Which you could probably agree with. You're like, man, I, when, I, when I think back of my 12-year-old, I don't remember like the random walk to school. I remember like my 12-year-old birthday party where we were all at Skate Castle and it was awesome, right? The moments. We remember moments. And, he, and he's talking about some of the reasons that we rob ourselves of experiencing moments, great like big opportunities. And he calls this thing, I think it's so profound when he said it, but he, he said one of the things that robs us is the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness, Sounds so like mystical, the soul-sucking voice of reasonableness. But when I say it, you know what I'm talking about. The soul-sucking voice of reasonableness. The one that's like, when you're feeling real spiritual and, and you feel full of the Holy Spirit and you want to go pray for somebody, that one that says, you know, God doesn't really work like that anymore. You know, God's not actually going to do that. Or when you have this kind of, man, I feel so broken and I need God, the one that says, it'll always kind of be like that, you know. You're never, never going to get over the hump. The soul-sucking voice of reasonableness. You experience it. You know it. I I know that voice. But hear me this morning. God is not reasonable. The God of the Bible, the God that we love and worship, he is not reasonable. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine according to the power at work within us. According to the power that is at work within us. 
that power within us that God wants to put in us and then use through us, he can do more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So he's, not, he's saying, give me your best. Give me your best, most crazy uh, prayer. And I'm saying, I have thought of something that is better, something that is crazier, um, something that is exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Our God is not reasonable. I've been taught that the Holy Spirit works primarily in two ways. One is process, and the other one is breakthrough. And I just think that we are very aware of the Holy Spirit's work in process, that he's slowly refining me, that he's showing me my sin, that he's walking with me, uh, that I can commune with him, that he is uh, making me more like Jesus. But I have little to no expectation of breakthrough. Again, we, we need to embrace the ordinary, but we need to expect more breakthrough of the Holy Spirit power in our lives. Number three thing that I don't think we experience it, we just don't believe it. Some of you are probably like me, you're, you're skeptical. Maybe you've heard of people being healed or you're kind of like, cool, cool, I want to I see it. Um, this past week, and Jeremy just prayed for him, uh, we, we had a pastor come and speak to our, we have, we have a Tuesday night gathering with all of our athletes and we had this pastor come and, and just share. Uh, he, he has terminal brain cancer. Um, it's, it's not looking good. Like it's kind of one of those things where it could be like any day. Um, and I'm about to preach on Acts 3 and healing. And I'm thinking, okay, let's pray for it. Like, let's do it. Um, and we pray. So we did. We just, we just laid hands on him and prayed for him and asked Jesus to heal him. And then he doesn't heal him, right? Like, as far as I know, he's still sick. And that's probably most of our experiences in this room, that we have prayed for people. It's not that I just neglect it. I have prayed. And I haven't seen it happen. So what do we do with that? Well, well, we can do the same thing. We can just kind of be prone to just uh, step away from it or we can step into just the mystery of God. I think that, that, that one of the things that, we, that, that, that scares us away from praying is that we would rather just kind of put it on something else. That if I pray for somebody, if, if, I, if I really just step into, man, I really need God to break through, there's, there's a sense of risk, right? Like Tuesday night, 50 to 70 athletes out there I'm leading this discussion with John, and I'm thinking, I really want to pray for him because I believe. I think I believe, and I pull him up here. But then I'm thinking in that moment, what if God doesn't heal him? What is that? <laughs> One, how does that look for me? That looks like I, I'm out of touch. And two, I feel, I'm like, I don't want them to give up on God if he doesn't heal. God is not concerned uh, with his own reputation. <laughs> He's plenty fine. Uh, there's a guy named Lee Strobel who, uh, I don't know if you guys know him, he, he, he's actually graduated from Mizzou, uh, journal school guy. He kind of got famous. He wrote a book called The Case for Christ, and then it turned into a movie. Big apologetics guy. He, he kind of studies a lot of things uh, in the, just, in the, just in a journalistic way, and then he has kind of brought that into the Christian world. So he's got like the case for Christ, the case for faith, the case for grace, the case for like everything. Uh, but his most recent one is the case for miracles. So he, one, he said he has a wife who has struggled uh, with chronic pain her entire life, and he's prayed for her and has not seen her healed. But he wants to know, does healing happen? Does the power of God actually still move the way it did? So he stepped into it like a journalist. He took his dad and his Christian hat off, and he said, I'm going to step into this thing like a journalist. And this is just one thing that stood out to me. He said in his research, he discovered that over 50% of Christians in China have been healed or at least know someone who has been healed. So this is a guy who's saying, man, I know I'm not experiencing this, but I believe it's happening. 
Even in the past couple weeks, uh, this dude named Francis Chan said that he, he's never healed anybody in 52 years of his life. He said every single person he laid hands on in Malaysia was healed. The New Testament gives us uh, no framework for a God who blesses the church with his spirit and then pulls his hand back. God is alive and he's active and he's moving. And sometimes our Western secular lens can seep into the way that we read the scriptures, but we live in a supernatural world where God is living and active and still moving. The last thing is we don't have faith. I want to look at verse 11 through 16. While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if by our own power and godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. When we look in the Gospels, it's, it, it's, it's really hard <laughs> to separate people's faith and the ministry of Jesus. Oftentimes, Jesus is responding to people's faith. There, there's, there's two examples where Jesus is astonished. He's only astonished twice in the whole scriptures, and it's both because of faith. One, because of a lack of faith in his hometown, where it said he could do no great work there because they were just so familiar with him. And the other one, there's this centurion who comes up to him and says, look, I get how authority works. I've got people under me, and if I tell somebody to go over there, he'll go over there. I get it. And, and, and then he has a sick, uh, one of his servants is sick, and he says, you only need to say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen such faith. And he's astonished. There, there, there's no separating it. But here's, here's the thing. Faith, what I, what I just talked about, that we don't believe it, is this intellectual acknowledgement that it can happen. We need that. But faith is something that's a little bit different. It's something that in our hearts we, we believe and know. That, that this is the same thing like the centurion that says, I get how authority works. That I've been transferred from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that Jesus, I, I believe that you want to bring the kingdom of God against uh, the darkness. And you want to bring it into this space. That you actually believe it. But at the same time, faith is not something that we just muster up on our own strength. It's not something that I just grip my hands together and I white knuckle it and I say, God, I believe. It's not that either. In fact, when Jesus prays his faith, most, most of the time it's, one, agreeing with his character, but two, it's, it's a sense of humility and weakness and desperation and dependence on him. It's, it's faith. And at the same time, verse 16 says, by faith in his name, Jesus, this man whom you see was made strong, it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him. Or the ESV would say the faith that comes through Jesus. Ephesians 2 says that uh, faith is but a gift of God so that no man may boast. We need to not, not just muster up enough faith, but we need to ask God to release faith into us. Our only hope for actually believing these things is that God would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, put faith inside of us that we would actually believe. And in a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask God to release faith. We need, to, we need faith, but we don't need uh, a self-will kind of faith. We need faith from God, we need him to produce it in us. Okay, number four, the message of Jesus. Um, this, this is important, right? After, after all this, okay, 
Peter, going to the temple to pray, stops, sees the guy. They say, hey, I don't have gold or silver, uh, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Uh, he, he doesn't stop in that moment and be like, whoo, that was awesome. Power of God, it's on me. God has released healing. Who's next, right? Like, he's not like, just come on, let's just heal everybody and then go home, right? He stops, and it says that he sees in the moment. The New Living Translation says that he, he like, saw that this is a moment. We can do something here. And with this moment, he teaches, Right? What we read at the beginning, Acts 1, 1, it said all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right now we've seen a lot of doing, and now Peter sees this is a vital moment for us to teach and preach the gospel. And we see that what Peter says uh, gets repeated over and over again in Acts. Right? It's the same thing he said in, in chapter 2 after Pentecost. We see it again in Acts 4, and it's not just Peter. Stephen shares the same message in chapter 6, and Paul shares it at least three times in the later half of, the, uh, of Acts, right? And it's essentially this. You can, you can follow along. Verse 13. The Old, the Old Testament promised a coming redemption. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, he's glorified our servant Jesus. He's talking to the fellow Israelites so they should know the story of God. They are, they are, he's saying the Old Testament's been promising this all along. But this redemption uh, was required because of our sin, right? Verse, the, the second half of 13 and 14. You handed him over to be killed and and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. He said, you did it. The reason that this whole thing is to come about isn't because of stuff that's going on out there. It's stuff that's going on in here. It's you. Verse 15, but death wasn't the end of the story. But God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this. Saying Jesus didn't just die and die. He rose again in new life to conquer death. And we saw this happen. And this event demands a response by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that he has completely been healed, as you all can see. See, after all of the healing that happened on the outside, which, which we believe for and we believe God can do, the deeper, more powerful healing was right here. This message brings healing. This message is heavy because it tells us that, that, that we, don't, we identify far more with the paralyzed guy than we do with Peter. That we're in desperate need of the healing message of Jesus far more than we are of uh, just walking out in power. It suggests that we don't even go looking for Jesus or Peter or for God's healing. Instead, God pursues us. He sent someone to tell us the gospel, to teach us about Jesus, and that God invited us into a relationship where we responded with faith. That's the deeper healing that we need that only Jesus can bring. It says that we probably have more in common with the paralyzed man than we do with Peter. So we have to continue to posture ourselves as people who need healing from Jesus. I want to say that one more time and then I'll, then I'll close. We, we have to continue to posture ourselves as people who need healing from Jesus. So as we close, there's, there's, there's four invitations in the story. I just want to acknowledge that uh, we, we all come in here in different seasons of life and different seasons in our own faith journey as we walk with Jesus. And I think wherever you're at, there's, there's four invitations in the story. One, there's just an invitation of prayer. There's an invitation to build your life with rhythms of prayer, ones that, uh, that, that, that continue to cultivate communion with God. Morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. Two, there's an invitation to be a person of mercy, a person who is uh, willing to 
uh, be inconvenienced for people who can do nothing for them. Three, there's an invitation into the power of God. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if, I don't know if you read this and you're like, yeah, that's like a normal Tuesday for me. Or if you read that and you're like, that's not me. There's an invitation to step into that, to say, God, we need, I need more of your power, to step into the gap. There's an invitation into more of the power of God. And four, there's an invitation to receive the healing of Jesus. Whether that's a first time putting your faith in Jesus and acknowledging, I need to follow you. You're the only hope. Or if it's an invitation to say, Jesus, I need you to heal me. I'm broken. I'm anxious. I'm depressed. I have ailments. I have struggles. I need your grace and I need your power. Invitation to pray. Invitation to be a person of mercy. Invitation to the power of God. And an invitation to receive the healing message of Jesus. So wherever you're at, I just want you to, I'm just going to believe that God's going to uh, put one of those in you and on you. Let's pray.